again and welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind. I'm Dan Sinkhorn, or Pastor Dan, and I'll be leading you through this week's virtual Bible study. Remember that our fundamental goal is knowing God. The essential assumption, then, is that the Bible is God's message to humanity so that God will be known and loved by God's creation. The Bible is sufficient in and of itself so that thoughtful study of it will lead to ever-increasing intimacy with God. Each week, we'll endeavor to engage scripture and tradition and to bring them into our present reality. And since I'm working as a pastor, I will use the same sources for this podcast that inform my weekly preaching and teaching duties. These days, I'm drawing upon the Revised Common Lectionary, So this examination of the Word will be based on all of the readings that are scheduled for the coming week in the Revised Common Lectionary. The podcast will mainly focus on those that are not covered in the Sunday message. So to get a more comprehensive view, you could listen to the worship podcast from the Sunday service, which you can hear at CorinthUMC.com. Wednesday, March 1st, is Ash Wednesday, and then the Lenten season begins. Let's talk for a moment about Ash Wednesday. This is a tradition that is not widely known among Protestants, but it is practiced in many Protestant churches, even in United Methodist churches. Ash Wednesday is that first day of the Lenten season. Its official name is the Day of Ashes, and it's called that because of the practice of rubbing ashes on your forehead as a sign of the in the sign of the cross and since it's exactly 40 days excluding Sundays before Easter Sunday that's why it falls when it does now it'll always be on a Wednesday so there won't be any ash Thursday or ash Monday but you've probably heard of fat Tuesday you know what fat Tuesday is all about don't you Fat Tuesday is the big celebration where you let it all hang out, eat too much, drink too much, behave crazily, and everything else so that you can uh, get it out of your system before you begin your fasting and uh, your somber preparation for Easter. It's interesting how some of the traditions of the church have outlasted their actual spiritual meaning. Uh, The society sort of revolts against some of the religious practices, but it sort of enjoys the other side of it, like the Fat Tuesdays and the sale of uh, extra good bargains on, on fish on Fridays during the season of Lent. You know, that is a practice that stems from the Catholic tradition of not eating meat on Fridays during the season of Lent. And since fish isn't considered meat, then it's the preferred uh, substitute. So there you go. Now you know a little bit more about the whole season of Lent and some of its more peculiar traditions. But back to Ash Wednesday. So while the uh, marketplace has sort of capitalized on the piety of Catholics and uh, Christians in general during the season of Lent, 
Lent is nonetheless a season of repentance and uh, mortification, that is uh, personal sacrifice, uh, suffering. Mortification could go as far as people who whip themselves with cords or something, but in most cases a little fasting will suffice. So during the season of Lent, self-denial and moderation are all ways of sort of intentionally sacrificing to show our great love and appreciation to our Lord for the sacrifice that was made for our sake as Christ died on the cross and, of course, in anticipation of our celebration of his resurrection on Easter Sunday. In many traditions, there is uh, no particular Uh, style of celebrating Lent other than the readings and the worship and uh, sometimes the color of the altar linens changes. Uh, For example, in my church, the altar linens will change to purple, which is sort of a uh, uh, a color that represents mourning and also represents royalty. So it has kind of a dual meaning in that case. But uh, all of these things focus our energies in a way during the season of Lent that perhaps we're not as well focused during the rest of the year. So it's not a bad thing. I would suggest that on Ash Wednesday, whether you attend an Ash Wednesday worship service or not, that you at least commit yourself to uh, some sort of personal sacrifice during the season of Lent. Uh, Give up candy, give up uh, certain habits that have perhaps dominated you, You know, if we're really honest with ourselves, there are many false gods in our lives, many little things that become too important to us to uh, give up, and then it causes us to neglect our relationship with God. So Lent is a great opportunity, and and in, in one way you can at least feel comfort from knowing that there are many millions of people all over the world who are trying to struggle against their personal sin and uh, at least some of their less desirable habits right along with you. So have a holy and faithful season of Lent. You'll be glad you did. Our scripture readings today are taken from the Revised Common Lectionary for Sunday, March the 5th. We will read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, and chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, to begin with. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now the serpent was the more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit 
of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Our psalm reading is Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one who is, whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from the trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by the bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Let us pray. Holy God, we are constantly bombarded with temptations and enticements. When we yield, when we fail, who will help us? You, Lord, have come to our aid. You teach us, counsel us, and guide us in the ways we should go. We rejoice in your unfailing love. Amen. Well, it's not an accident that this beginning Sunday of the Lenten season starts with the story of how sin came into the world in the first place. Of course, most of us are pretty familiar with the story. We all remember the main elements. Two beautiful naked people walking around in this perfect garden, and there is a tree that has a fruit on it that they are not to touch in any way, shape, or form. And along slithers a snake who has designs on tempting the woman. I probably don't have to tell you that this story has affected countless generations of people and societies, and it is no doubt one of the reasons that there has been justification made for mistreating women. Well, let's just take that off the table right now because that's ridiculous. That's a highly opinionated statement, but I'll stand by it. The fact is that Eve may have been particularly vulnerable in this case, and we don't really know why, but it certainly isn't meant to establish the nature of 
the differences between men and women intellectually, not by any stretch. I won't re- won't accept that. I reject that idea. I do believe, though, that God made them distinctly different, and that we're supposed to recognize that as just an acceptable norm. That, I'm sure, will be an unpopular thing for me to say, but I'll live with it. Let's look at the story, though. There's Eve and Adam living in the garden, the place where God can dwell with them. This is what I really want to focus on anyway. The the reality that what we're talking about is God's presence. They were sinless or naked. Everything about them was exposed. There were no dirty secrets. There were no uh, uh, untoward thoughts. The fact is, is God was present with them because God enjoyed their company and they could enjoy God's company. And that's really what the nakedness refers to in this case. It's nice to think about a couple of pretty little people frolicking around in the in the garden in their birthday suits, but that's not really what the story is about. The story is about their uh, not having anything to hide from God. It's about them not being uh, tainted in some way that makes it difficult or impossible for God to be with them. And so the story goes. The serpent, which in the more ancient interpretations wasn't really a snake that we're talking about. <clears throat> it was a particular kind of, of uh, reptile, and, and it may have been more on the lines of a dragon. And of course, that takes us to the place where we see the dragon being a representation of Satan. And most of us have assumed, you know, that that's exactly what's going on, that God is over on one side of the garden, being present to the man and the woman while this tree of knowledge of good and evil, and more aptly, we could call it this tree of self-actualization, this tree that enlightens us and causes us to really come into our own and experience our ego or our self-knowledge in a way that triggers self-serving behavior and self-serving thoughts. And of course, who's nearby to really uh, encourage that kind of behavior? And so what is the story about? It's the story about whether to choose to focus on God above self or to focus on self above God. God waits in God's place in the garden, walking in the cool of the evening, looking forward to a chat with Adam and Eve, and Satan waits, looking like a slithering, sneaky reptile who wants to enhance and entice your pride and your ego. Of course, Scripture tells us in several places that that is the very essence of the fall of Lucifer, who would become known as Satan, from the glory of God. Here was an angel who, being created as human beings are, but somewhat above human beings, has been denounced by God in part because of his utter rejection of God's authority over him. 
And then, of course, it was his own pride that drove him to try to find his own way in his own place and time apart from God, and yet always filled with this seething hatred of God, this desire to to hurt God and to punish God for rejecting him. It is a story as old as time, isn't it? A story of pride and uh, decadence and selfish desire. Now, what's really amazing about this story that you can see in the story of Eve tasting the fruit is this very uh, subtle sort of way of saying, you know, it's not pride to be the best person you can be. It's not pride to try to rise to the highest level of attainment and achievement that you can. It's, it's not twisted or evil for you to want to be everything God made you to be. Oh, it's funny and it's sneaky the way that serpent creeps in and tries to encourage us to serve ourselves first. And so God has to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't corrupt the holiness and sacredness of what God has created and planned. And of course, we'll read through this Lenten season how God manages the problem of sin. But let's look at a couple of other interesting aspects of the story. We find that Adam came alongside Eve and ate the fruit as well. You know, in Eve's case, Satan enticed her, and she made a decision to sin, to disobey God, to disregard God, and that is one thing. But Adam, he did something above and beyond that is both beautiful and remarkable. Adam chose to sin because of Eve. I think Adam becomes, in his own way, a type of Jesus and a really wonderful example for husbands and wives because he chose to accept death and separation from God in order to take care of Adam's bride, Eve. What a beautiful picture. What a tremendous sacrifice he made for the sake of the one that God had given him to love. Sounds a little bit like Jesus and the people that he sacrifices to serve and to save. Maybe that's why the lectionary writers wanted us to take this story at the beginning of the Lenten season. Now let's look at our New Testament readings. The epistle reading today, that is the letter, is from the Apostle Paul to the Romans. We're reading Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 19. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, 
To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man Jesus Christ. Consequently, just one trespass led to condemnation in all people. So also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Now the Gospel reading, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, and so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and the angels came, and attended him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now for some more pastoral pontification regarding the readings that we just heard. Now, in the letter to the Romans, Paul is explaining the very situation that we just read about and discussed for a few minutes, the nature of sin in uh, human beings. Well, let's put a little bit of a Wesleyan spin on this, and that's okay because I think Wesley got it right. Wesley would say to us that Adam's sin is 
our natural sin, that is our sin state. We, we are naturally depraved as people, meaning that we can't help but having this bent towards uh, disobedience against God. It isn't that we hate God necessarily, but by default, our rejection of God is perceived as hatred. That is to say, God can't experience our presence without seeing the sin. In other words, even God can see that we're naked now, or at least our sin is laid bare before God. Now, we'll find out as we move forward in the reading from Genesis in the future that God saw that they were naked, and they knew they were naked. And so Adam and Eve covered themselves with leaves, hoping that uh, they could somehow hide their nakedness from God. But, well, they didn't fool God. And the interesting thing is, is that God, in response to their sin, did not, you know, destroy them or throw them out naked or anything. What God did was, in fact, to cover them with skins, Now, one of the things you just can't afford to miss in that story is the significance of the fact that God had to kill an innocent animal and take its skin from it in order to cover their nakedness. Again, nakedness could mean literally that they didn't need to wear clothes because the climate was so perfect. But I think in this case, it's better for us to understand that there was nothing for them to hide from God and they had no desire to turn from God. And then having sinned against God by eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, now Adam and Eve had made themselves naked before God in a way that they were keenly aware of and ashamed of. Now, that very shame is what led to the covering of their sin. They were ashamed. They admitted their sin to God. They tried to cover their sin the best they knew how, but only God could adequately cover their sin. And so they were no longer suitable for eternal life in paradise, but they were not worth destroying either. Thank God for his love and grace. And so by their nature, they have given us a nature of rejection towards God And we, too, need something to cover our sin. Now, for the Old Testament people, the covering of their natural sin was done through regular rituals of sacrifice and always with an innocent animal shedding its blood, having its life taken from it. But what Paul tells us in chapter 5 of Romans is that we don't have to do that anymore because the sin of Adam, the one man that has affected all of us with this natural depravity, has been taken away by one man. Not only that, but one man's one sin caused all of our problems with sin, but one man's sacrifice comes at the point in our lives where we know full well that we no longer can claim that we only bear the sin of Adam because we know that we are consciously sinning as well. There are those decisions that we make that illustrate the depravity of our nature, those choices we make that cause us to reject God and to spit in God's eye. And there are times when we really don't want to admit it, but we're pretty much shaking our fist at God and saying, no, I will not. And it's all because of self-interest. It's all because of this desire that 
Satan puts in our hearts to have it my way, to be all about me and mine and the real commitment that is required of everyone who will love and trust God is that we would give up our self-interest and seek God first and foremost. Romans tells us then that God has made a way for our relationship with God to happen despite our sin. By Jesus' shed blood, by Jesus' broken body on the cross, our sin has been covered. And in the same way that God could be in the presence of Adam and Eve or to interact with their lives after their sin, because he covered their sin, so Jesus covers our sin and gives us a way of entry into the presence of God. Isn't that incredible? That because of Jesus, your sin is covered and you can enter into the presence of God? You can be in a relationship with God, but it goes so much further than that, and it'll take us weeks now through the season of Lent and into the Easter celebration and right on through to Pentecost to really grasp the enormity of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. But one thing you can be sure of after reading today's gospel reading is Satan understood what was at stake. When Jesus launched his ministry after his baptism with John the Baptist and he went into the wilderness to become spiritually prepared, he was under the direct assault of Satan himself. And the scripture tells us that at his weakest, most vulnerable moment, there was this temptation Now, we need to hear clearly what's going on in that story because we need to understand that Jesus, who is the very Son of God, by nature God and by nature human being, this Jesus has come to this moment of human weakness and in his human weakness of hunger and weariness and fear of what comes ahead, there is temptation even for Jesus. So many times when we read scripture or just think about Jesus, we want to believe that he was different from us. And yet we mustn't allow ourselves to think of him as being different from us. Otherwise, what's the point of incarnation anyway? Now, he is different than us in one respect, and that is is that when he was tempted to sin, he did not. When we're tempted to sin, most of the time we did. But Jesus did not. The story tells us that Satan was putting all the forces that he has into trying to stop Jesus before he starts this final push toward our redemption. And Satan is going to break him at the moment when he seems the most vulnerable, especially in his human need. So how do we interpret the temptation of Jesus? As hard as it is for us to hear, perhaps we need to know and believe that Jesus looked at the stones in the depths of his hunger and his weariness, and he said, you know, I could turn these to bread if I wanted to. And Satan says, ha, now I've got him. And then Jesus says, no, no. There's more to being a man than eating. You must live 
for God. And so in our human nature, we want to eat because we're hungry. But in our spiritual draw from the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, we are to be remembering constantly that our relationship with God supersedes our self-interests. And so when Jesus is experiencing these temptations, he sees for perhaps the first time in this particular way what it's like to be a human suffering with these incredibly powerful temptations to enjoy the benefits of superior humanity. But look at the evil that's going on in the world all the time, historically and in our current context, and ask yourself how much of that would not happen if we simply put God first and put our stomachs and our pride and our need for stuff and for power and glory. If we put all of that behind us, how many of the evils in this world would be less troublesome than they are? It's a thought. And so we find ourselves in this first Sunday of Lent considering the possibility that Jesus' fast and his spiritual preparation were what made him able to push through the temptation and carry out his mission And maybe what we're being told through these readings is is that we are burdened with the natural sin and depravity that comes to us from, from Adam's sin. And yet our sin is covered because of the grace of God expressed through Jesus who covers our sin through his sacrifice and his love. Perhaps we are to realize that this season of Lent is an opportunity for us to give something back to God out of pure love. And in so doing, perhaps draw nearer to God, because after all, it is our intention to know God with all our hearts and with our minds and to love our neighbor as Jesus would have us love our neighbor. Well, I hope you've been blessed by this offering. My prayer is that God has given you a greater insight and that the Spirit has enlivened your journey through this. Knowing God with heart and mind is brought to you by yours truly, Pastor Dan, but it wouldn't be possible without the faithful support of the people of Corinth United Methodist Church in Muncie, Muncie, Indiana, where I serve as pastor. They pay my salary so that I can offer these kinds of things to you and to them. And so I would ask you to consider joining us at worship some Sunday. We'd be glad to have you. Corinth is a warm place to join Christian friends and other seekers and sojourners. It's a place where friends become family and the family becomes the body of Christ. We'd love to have you join us in worship and other activities. So just visit CorinthUMC.com and check us out. Find out what's going on. Find out when the worship services are. And oh, by the way, you can also listen to Sunday Sermon Podcasts there as well. You can also help us by worshiping God with your offerings. 
If you visit CorinthUMC.com, you'll find a PayPal link there where you can support us financially. It is an act of worship. It's another kind of fasting and sacrifice to give to God a little bit of your money. And you can do it at Corinth Church in such a way that you can help underwrite something as useful as a podcast Bible study for people who have a difficult time making it to church for every activity. So we hope to see you soon, and I look forward to visiting with you again next week. That's all for now, so until next time, God bless you, and go in peace to love and serve the Lord.